Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. This is one of the greatest promises in all the Word of God. James chapter 1, come to verse 5. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally or generously, and uh, upbraideth not. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Boy, I, I need God's wisdom. <laughs> uh, I, I make a, if I'm not uh, guided by the Lord, I make a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> but what a, uh, what a magnificent promise this is, that God will promise us wisdom and discernment and good judgment. Sometimes you just don't know what to do. And I always, I've always contended that the will of God is very simple. I've always never understood people struggling with the will of God. I think if you have a heart for God's will and you pray and you ask the Lord to guide you and direct you, he won't let you make a mistake. Somehow you'll end up in the place you're supposed to be. That's how, to me, that's how simple the will of God is. If you want God's will with all your heart, you're willing to go anywhere he wants you to go. Do anything he wants you to do. You commit that to the Lord and ask him to guide you. And somehow you'll end up in the place you ought to be and making the decision you ought to make. But what a, what a magnificent promise this is that God promises to give us wisdom. Let me explain what I've got on the board here. This is a map, <clears throat> and this is the nation of Israel. And I like what some uh, student of prophecy called Israel, God's super sign. How long is it? And May 14th, 1948, uh, Israel was recognized uh, was a, as a state. Harry Truman uh, basically uh, recognized Israel as a state. I think on the 15th, the next day, it may have been that night, I'm not sure. But uh, in 1948, May 14th, Bible prophecy was fulfilled. Israel was back in the land. And then in 1967, whatever other, other great fulfillment of prophecy took place in the Six-Day War. Now, you knew why the Jews were able to win that war in uh, six days, don't you? All that, uh, that military equipment had been rented for six days. And so they knew they had to win that to war in six days or pay extra on that military. I'm trying to be funny. I'm not actually doing very good at it. <laughs> but, uh, they, uh, what, what great prophecy was fulfilled in that uh, six-day war in 1967? They captured Jerusalem. So Jerusalem came under their control. Now, for some reason, they decided to give it back in the interest of peace, and so it's actually sort of an international. But uh, what president actually uh, moved uh, Israel's capital from Tel Aviv to uh, Jerusalem? Donald Trump. You know, he's a hero over there. He actually solidified the Golan Heights. I'm not sure what all that's about, but these are sort of the mountains of Israel up in that northeast uh, corner near Syria. And militarily, it's very strategic. And uh, the Arabs and the others have been trying to get those, uh, keep control of those Golan Heights. Well, now what exactly Trump did, I don't know, but he actually secured that uh, those Golan Heights for Israel, uh, the, the, uh, the Golan Heights. So uh, anyhow, we're seeing Bible prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. Israel's been back in the land now, what, about 74 years, 75 years? And uh, this is a very, this is God. If you want to know what's going on prophetically, keep an eye on Israel. Just watch the nation of Israel. 
uh, as it's been called, God's super sign, prophetic super sign. All right. Let's come to Daniel chapter 10. And Daniel chapter 10. Chapter 10 through 12 is Daniel's fourth and final vision. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 concerns itself with this last vision of Daniel, his fourth and his final vision. And uh, in chapter 10, we see the introduction to this great vision. Uh, Daniel was so stunned three times God had to strengthen him. Uh, Daniel uh, uh, and one fell to the ground. <laughs> uh, he was so overwhelmed by this marvelous prophecy that God gave him. And as he began to pray, uh, the angel Michael uh, tried to come and help him. What happened? What, what caused Michael the most powerful of all the angels? Michael's been called the guardian of the nation of Israel. What caused Michael a 21 delay? 20, a 21 day delay before he was able to come and help Daniel and give the vision. Prince the Prince of Persia. Daniel talks about the Prince of Persia. This is a demon. This is an evil angel. And uh, this evil angel was a power behind ancient uh, I, I, uh, Persia, now modern Iraq. In 1935, they changed the name from Persia to Iraq. But uh, that uh, nation was uh, controlled and led and influenced by a, demo a demonic, an, an evil angel, a demon, and one of Satan's uh, emissaries. And then we're going to see the same thing with Greece. I think even to this day, there's powerful angels, evil angels, demonic angels that control nations. <laughs> Certainly China, Russia, these atheistic uh, powers. Uh, there's a great war going on in heaven. There was a great war going on in heaven as, he, as Daniel began to pray. We don't hear much about this, but uh, there in Ephesians, it talks about the principalities and powers. The idea there suggests a great hierarchy, a great government of angels, of evil angels, demonic angels. Now, I'm, I'm, I may sound like a, a, a nutcase, but I do believe in UFOs. <laughs> but I believe some of these UFOs are... are are demonic, uh, are demonic powers. Now, the Word of God talks about a whole hierarchy of angels, uh, 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 principalities with levels of power, and they're very highly organized. And uh, they could be, uh, and they have great power. Uh, they wrestled with Michael for 21 days, and we know that uh, uh, another angel had a struggle with these and that, that angel needed help. That's why we know that angel, by the way, was not the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, Christ doesn't need any help. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, <clears throat> there's this great battle going on. And all this is in uh, chapter 10 <clears throat> of Daniel <clears throat> is an introduction to this fourth and final vision. As I said, Daniel was so overwhelmed, God uh, had to strengthen him three times. And he talked about Daniel being greatly beloved of God. You might say Daniel is sort of the Apostle John in one sense of the Old Testament. And the Word of God tells us uh, on several occasions that, that Daniel is greatly beloved. But anyhow, uh, turn, uh, come to Daniel 10. Now, by the way, uh, Daniel 10 says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
All right, this would have been in 1536, or I'm sorry, 536 B.C. Uh, we know that probably in, it may have been in that year that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. It's possible that maybe Daniel died uh, maybe four or five, six years later. But we know that uh, he got this vision in 536 B.C., the, the, year that, uh, the third year of King Cyrus of the Persian Empire. And so Daniel <clears throat> wrote his uh, book about 200 years before many of these prophecies came to be fulfilled. And uh, one of the uh, liberals, one of the great infidels in the early centuries, in the third century, a man named Porphyry, he said that Daniel was su such accurate history <laughs> that uh, Daniel couldn't have written it. The history was so accurate that uh, Daniel had to be a, a historian rather than a prophet. But uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 11, uh, uh, John Walford, the uh, commentator, said that probably about 135 prophecies were fulfilled in that one chapter, Daniel chapter 11. <laughs> and you see why the, 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 the liberals hate prophecy. They don't know what to do with it. Uh, they know that uh, the more you research the historical background of the book of Daniel, you had to be somebody that lived in about the, uh, uh, about the 6th century B.C., so he, Daniel probably died somewhere around probably maybe 530 or maybe shortly even after he wrote the book of Daniel, this fourth and final vision there in, in uh, chapters 10, 11, and 12. All right. In uh, chapter 10, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, today now modern Iran, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true. But the time appointed was long. Well, the time appointed is going to be, uh, there's a great debate over this among the commentators. But I think it's just basically saying the whole history is going to be a long history from the time of Daniel to the second coming of Christ. And he understood the thing. and had understanding of the vision. This is why he was so overwhelmed and almost fainted, fell to the ground, had to be lifted up by one of the angels. But three times God had to strengthen him. He was so awed by this magnificent vision of all future history. And, um, but in, uh, come down to verse 12 of chapter 10. I'm sorry, uh, chapter, uh, yeah, verse 12 of chapter 10. It says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel. Now we believe this is Michael speaking. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. Uh, God hears prayer. Daniel began to repent of uh, the sins of the nation, his own sins. Now, Daniel was no, nowhere is it recorded that Daniel ever sinned in the word of God. But uh, all men are sinners, and so he prayed for the sins of the nation, prayed for his own sins. But immediately as God, uh, as he began to pray, God began to work. That ought to be a great encouragement to our prayer life. Amen. It says, Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. I'm come to answer your prayer. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this demon, this fallen angel, this wicked angel that is influencing the nation for evil, withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, I'm sorry, this is probably Gabriel speaking at this point. We don't know what angel this is. But we know it's not Christ, the pre-existent Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, because 
this angel needs help. And so Michael is going to assist him. Uh, Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, didn't need help. He was the omnipotent God. But one of the chief princes came to help me and remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. From the, the latter days is probably all this history of Israel, beginning with the times of Gentiles to the very end. Uh, they, again, there's a debate over what the latter days means. But we certainly need, we mean those events that are going to culminate in the second coming of Christ in these end times. And when he had spoken such words uh, unto me, I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb. Now, dumb means that he couldn't speak. It has nothing to do with the intellect. It has to do with his inability to speak. All right. So there we have a, a magnificent fulfillment. Come down to verse 20. See, then said he, knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee. Now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia, this evil angel, this demon. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia. So Greece has an evil angel that uh, influences its kings and leaders and those in leadership. You know, this great battle today in America is a spiritual battle. This is not just a political battle, it's a spiritual battle. There's no human explanation. Why would people want to destroy a country like America? You know, uh, uh, high in, uh, in uh, the blacks, the minorities have had more uh, employment than, than their history in America, probably. And the Hispanics, uh, uh, women, uh, we had almost no inflation, I think like 1.2 inflation before Joe came into power. Why would you, uh, we, uh, we were helping uh, settle some of these peace agreements in the Middle East, finding a measure of peace in the Middle East. You know, domestic policy, foreign policy, uh, humanly speaking, you couldn't ask for much better conditions, could you? And all that's been disrupted and destroyed in about, what, 18 months now? Uh, you know, the wheels are coming off of the nation, are they not? This, this country's in bad shape. Uh, do you know there's uh, people coming in on the southern border from about a hundred and some nations? They know that terrorists are coming into the country from the south. They found uh, prayer rugs from uh, people from the Middle East coming in. Uh, these people are penetrating into our country. The, uh, the whole country is being pervaded uh, by, our, by our enemies. I think uh, a lot of people up in the White House, I'm, I'm not sure they're on our side. If I wanted to destroy this country, I would do exactly what they're doing, wouldn't you? <laughs> but any, I didn't mean to get into all the politics. But I think there's a, an evil, evil demonic powers behind America influencing some of these people. How do you explain anti-Semitism? There's no logical explanation for that. Just the devil has put the hatred for, uh, for the Jew in the hearts of people. And by the, by the way, there's a real rise of anti-Semitism all over the world now. A hatred for the Jews. Now, how can there's no way to explain that rationally, logically? It's, it's we, we, I believe there's demonic powers influencing this nation. I was reading some years ago where uh, uh, some guru from India stepped off the ship up in New York or off the plane or somewhere. I don't know how he got here, but he said, uh, and again, this is just sort of anecdotal, you know, it's not scientific research. <laughs> But he said that, you know, I find a difference in America. When I came from earlier years, there seemed to be a spiritual power that, uh, that uh, 
that I could not explain to have protected this country. Now, these are not his words, but the point he was making, he says there was a spiritual protection over this country, but now I find that that spiritual protection is gone. This was a guru now from India. You know, near Eastern religion. Uh, it's demonic. It's satanic, uh, satanic. All this yoga and transcendental meditation, uh, all these near Eastern religions, they're very satanic, but they're very powerful. And you're seeing that influence today in America, a great leaning towards these Near Eastern religions. But anyhow, <clears throat> so that's what that's all about, the Prince of Persia, the Prince of Greece. Now, let's come to chapter 11. All right. Now, in chapter 11, you have about 200 years of history being prophesied about 200 years before those events occurred. Look at uh, chapter uh, 11, verse 2. Actually, chapter one, or verse one, really belongs in the previous chapter. It's more a part of the introduction, I think. But anyhow, verse two, and now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up again the realm of Grecia. Now, again, uh, during this uh, time, you're gonna, Alexander the Great spread Greek philosophy across the ancient world. Uh, you can thank Alexander the Great in one sense that our New Testament was originated in the original Greek, what they call Koine or Common Greek. Well, Alexander spread the Greek language all across the ancient world. Now, Alexander the Great was a hardened military veteran at age 18. By age 20, he was a general and was a military genius. And for 11 years, he swept all the way from Macedonia all the way uh, into India, across the Indus River into India. And for 11 years, he, uh, he destroyed these cities. And his uh, soldiers finally rebelled, being gone for about 11 years. They said, look, it's time to go back home. But he never suffered a military defeat. He was indeed a military genius. And the Word of God, when you look at the, the Word of God, is clearly talking about Alexander the Great, I think. That he was cut off suddenly. He was that ram whose uh, feet they never, it never touched the ground, meaning that he swept across Europe with such power and such speed that in one sense he never touched the ground. That's how fast he conquered these uh, ancient kingdoms. And so, uh, anyhow, chapter two is uh, speaking of, uh, of uh, I think, of the, of the little horn, the Antichrist, all right? Now, in verses, we won't read it, but in verses, uh, look in verses three and four. Let's read that. It says, and a mighty king, this is Alexander the Great now, and a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And this is certainly a description of Alexander the Great. The world did his will, <laughs> He named, I don't know how many cities he named after himself. The most important one being Alexandria, Egypt. But he swept across the ancient world, conquering cities with a tremendous speed. He died at 32 years of age. His army had mutinied, had, had mutinied, uh, had mutinied and uh, he, so he was returning back. He's taking his army back to Greece. And they came to Babylon. He died in Babylon at uh, 32 years of age. That's pretty young, is it not? Uh, he had uh, had some battle wounds. Uh, one historian said he probably had malaria. But whatever he was, he died in a drunken uh, stupor. And, uh, and, but he died in Babylon in uh, three, uh, th 332 A.D. And uh, so uh, 
But look at verse four. It says, and when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others besides those. All right now, when Alexander died very prematurely, in just a few short years, uh, he had four generals that took four, four parts of his kingdom, the four winds. Just it's amazing, the prophecy of the word of God. So if Daniel wrote, say, in 536, how many years is that before uh, Alexander died? But in round figures, about 200 years. So Daniel prophesied all these things 200 years before they happened. But that's certainly a description of Alexander. He died. Uh, None of his family inherited any of his kingdom. His kingdom was divided up into four parts among four generals, just like the word of God's prophesied here. None of these generals were were not uh, blood relatives. Uh, They were men that uh, divided up his kingdom among themselves into four parts, just like the word of God is prophesied here. Now, in verses 5 through 20, look up here just a second. In 5 through 20, you see uh, basically uh, a series of wars and battles between these two kingdoms. You have the king of the south, and this is Egypt. And this uh, one of uh, Alexander's generals was, was named Ptolemy. And so uh, those, uh, that, uh, those, uh, those kings and their uh, ancestors were called the Ptolemies in Egypt. But this king is called the king of the south. Here's Israel. So remember, Israel now is the center of the world. So when you begin to measure distances and, lo- and locations, it's always in relation to Israel. All right, the king of the north, let me put north up here, not south. The king of the north, one of his generals was named Seleucus. And so him and his ancestors were called the Seleucids. Antiochus Epiphanes now will come out of this, out of this northern kingdom. But the kings, uh, these are called, this is called the king, of the, nor- the king of the north. The king of the north, the Seleucids, uh, it was not called Syria at the time, later on it became Syria, modern Syria. But the king of the north, the Seleucids, will be in constant warfare with the kings of the south, the Ptolemies. And when they uh, go back and forth, they'll go, always go through Israel. <laughs> and so the word of God is prophesying that the turmoil, the terrible judgment of God on Israel over the ages, over, over the time period. Antiochus Epiphanes will try to come in and capture Egypt. And the, Rom- the Romans will prevent him from doing that. So he's going to be very angry, very upset. So he's going to take it out on Israel. As he goes back north, he's going to come through Jerusalem. And we'll remember the, uh, we'll look at that in just a minute, but he's going to go in and defile the temple and so on. But when the word of God talks about the king of the north, the king of the south, and, uh, and those verses uh, two uh, or five through 20, I believe it is, it's going to talk about these constant battles that take place between these two kings, kings of the north and the kings of the south. And in those uh, battles, something like 135 prophecies will be fulfilled. Uh, one of these uh, kings, his wife, he will divorce his wife and marry another woman. Well, that wife will end up murdering the one that he marri- uh, marries and ends up murdering him. Now, God is not the author of sin. God, uh, God didn't uh, uh, ma- manipulate all these things. God allows these things. God's in control of these things. 
and nothing that happens is going to frustrate God's plan. But God is not the author of sin. I like to talk about uh, the self-limiting providence of God. You think God uh, inspired that woman to murder her husband and, and, and his uh, wife? Of course not. God's not the author of sin. Uh, James is very clear on that, isn't it? If you sin, don't blame God. <laughs> but uh, God's in control. He allows these things to happen. I kind of like to compare our experience to somebody. Suppose I got on a plane to fly to Los Angeles from New York. Well, I can get on that plane. I can walk back and forth, go get a cup of coffee. I can be walking uh, east and walking west, back and forth in that plane, moving around. But no matter what I do, that plane's going to end up in Los Angeles, isn't it? Now, that's the way God's purpose is. We human beings can do a lot of things and sin and fail and so on. But in the end, God's plan and purpose is going to be fulfilled. Is God concerned whether I get up or not and go get a cup of coffee on a plane? No, I don't think so. God has set his uh, power, his uh, principles and laws in motion, and they'll follow regular consequences. God doesn't have to interfere and lead me to go get a cup of coffee on the plane. Or have a waitress bring me a cup of coffee. What they do this day and age, haven't flown lately, so... They may not even afford to give you coffee anymore, do they? I don't know. <laughs> All right. So in verses 5 through 20, you have these battles between these, the king of the north and the king of the south. Now come to uh, verse, uh, on verse 21 through 35, it begins to deal with Antiochus Epiphanes. He's in the Bible, he's called the little horn. He's a type or a picture of Antichrist. And he's going to rule, uh, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be in the, uh, he's going to be a, a Seleucid. He's from this northern kingdom. And he's going to rule from 174, uh, about 171 to 164. Uh, 170, I'm sorry, 174 to 164, about 10 years he's going to be in power. And he's going to actually invade Israel three times. And he's going to go and, and defile the temple twice. He has a bitter, bitter hatred for Israel, for the Jews. He's a, what we call an anti-Semite, somebody that hates the Jews. And so, but he's a, he's a great picture of the Antichrist. And so if you want to understand something about the Antichrist and understand Antiochus Epiphanes, the word Epiphanes means glorious manifestation. He uh, claimed for himself deity. He added his name, uh, means a, a, an illustrious or glorious manifestation. And he claimed that he was the god Zeus. And he's going to try to Hellenize the Jews. To Hellenize the Jews, Alexander the Great was trying to Hellenize the ancient world. He was trying to impose the culture of Greece on the ancient world, the pagan culture of the Greeks. He was trying to uh, spread the Greek language. One of the, be one of the best places to, re in, uh, to uh, culturize is to change the language, right? That's, how, that's what they tried to do to Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Remember that? They tried to, uh, they tried to uh, uh, what you might say, paganize them. Uh, they ate, the, they became, they wanted, he wanted them to be dependent on government. They got their food from the government. Uh, they, uh, they gave them the names of, the, of their pagan gods. They wanted to change their culture, change their religion, change their habits. Uh, Alexander was trying to Hellenize the ancient world. Well, Antiochus Epiphanes wanted to Hellenize the Jews. He went in and changed their religion, 
He erected a statue of Zeus in the temple. And he, uh, he stopped all the Jewish feasts and festivals and routines and rituals and so on and tried to eliminate Judaism. Yeah, you see, that's, that's what's going on today in America, is it not? They're trying to, they're, the primary assault today is on the nuclear family. What, why is Disney trying to sexualize our children in their movies and so on? The whole thing is an assault on the, on the nuclear family. And to Antonio Gramsci, the uh, communist theorist, whose impact is being felt very much today, he says, the biggest obstacle to the imposition of communism in the world is Christianity and the nuclear family. So you've got to assault the nuclear family, you know, the idea of one man, one woman, and children, and so on. Well, what better way to assault the nuclear family than to push homosexuality? and to sexualize our children down in the kindergartens in the first, second, third grade. Why do you think Dr. Or Dr. Uh, Governor DeSantis got a bill passed saying you can't sexualize children in the kindergarten, first, second, third grade? I thought the bill was a little timid, but it's, it's a good start, good place to start. Should have gone all the way through college, I guess. But anyhow, that, what's, what must be going on in those schools, in these schools? What's going on in these textbooks in the public schools? What are they teaching these children? Even in the math books. And a lot of those math questions are uh, written questions, written out. And they've got homosexuality embedded in some of those, uh, even some of the math questions. Well, anyhow. All right. The, uh, come down to verse 36. Here we see the uh, Daniel eleven thirty six, and here we see the Antichrist. Daniel eleven thirty six says, "And the king shall do according to his will." Now, by the way, what happens here is there's a great gap from thirty five between thirty five and thirty six. Uh, verse thirty five ends ends the passage on Antiochus Epiphanes, the type of Antichrist. Then the word of God skips to, uh, to the end times, to the time of the tribulation period. So there's a great gap, a time gap between uh, 35 and 36. And 36 begins a description of the Antichrist and the tribulation period. And the king shall do according to his will. The king, the Antichrist. What's, uh, what's the Antichrist called, by the way? He has other names in the Bible. Does anybody know some of the other names of Antichrist? Deceiver. He's a deceiver. He has some other names. Uh, he's energized by Satan, the father of lies, sure is. How about the beast? In the Revelation, he's called the beast. He's called in another place the willful king, and the lawless one, uh, the man of sin. He's got, uh, of course, called the little horn. All right. It says, neither shall, verse 37, uh, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. And that's a great uh, the theological debate. What's that mean? Neither shall, he re, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Now, these could be pegging. Some think it's a, he's a Jew. I, I don't think that he is. But uh, I wouldn't go to the martyr stake over, over that. But uh, then it says, neither shall he desire, uh, neither, sh nor 
Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. Now, I think that some think that this may indicate that he would be a sodomite, a homosexual. Uh, I, I don't think so. I think the context is religion here. I believe the Pope will be the false prophet. I believe the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic system is not a Christian system, by the way. It's not a Christian system. And I believe the Pope uh, is, the, uh, is going to be the false prophet that's going to cause the world to worship the Antichrist, the beast. The beast will be energized by Satan, be controlled by Satan, but I believe the Catholic Church will be the, uh, will be the great harlot of Babylon. No system has the capacity to assimilate all religions as much as the Catholic Church. They'll go into it and, and take over, for example, Africa, and they'll take over some of these, uh, uh, these gods or these uh, gods of these Africans or people of India, whatever, and uh, baptize them, make them Catholic saints. <laughs> and so all they do is they, just, uh, they, uh, they become much better Catholic, but also they're much better uh, pagans. Because Rome adopts their gods and adopts their system, and all it does—it doesn't. Uh, all Roman uh, Romanism is, by the way, is just baptized paganism. That's what it is. All right. So I think I think it probably may have to do with maybe not. Uh, uh, who would be the great influence on the Pope? In one sense, who's the greatest influence? Who do the Catholic priests usually? Who did when the Pope was assassinated, or they attempted to assassinate the? I think it was at the. Who was a Pope John Paul II a few years ago? Somebody shot him. I got, I got the right Pope. Does anybody remember who he was praying to as, in his Pope mobiles? He was taken to the hospital after being shot. Praying to Mary. He's very much of a Mary Olatrus. And uh, so I think this may have regard to maybe to the Catholic Church and the Pope and the influence of Mary. But he won't be regarding the influence of Mary. Now, that's just my uh, theory for what it's worth, okay? But the context here is religion. Look at the verse before and the verse after talking about religion. It's not, not talking about character and his uh, uh, private preferences and so on. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God. You see the context? It's almost like Mary's being uh, identified as a God here. You know the Catholic Church is trying to, to put four people in the Trinity. Now, are you aware of that? They want to put Mary in the... They want to add the... Uh, Married to the Trinity. Rome is a blasphemous system. <laughs> it is not a Christian system. All right, so there you see now the uh, a description of the Antichrist. And uh, come on down to thir verse 38. But in, his, in this estate shall he honor the God of forces. Uh, the commentators believe that's talking about military might. He'll worship military power. He'll be a, a militant. And a, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strong, strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many, and shall divide the land again. Talking about Israel. And at that time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, the king south from Egypt. So Antichrist is in power now, but he's going to be resisted by the king of the north and the kings of the south. So he'll never in one sense be an absolute total dictator, a dictator over every country. He'll always have some resistance. So he's meeting military resistance now from the king of the south and the king of the north. They'll come in a sort of a pincher movement. 
And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind and with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. And he shall enter into, into the glorious land. Now he's going to move his capital, I think, to Jerusalem. The glorious land is Israel. <laughs> and so now he's moving there as a result of these, uh, this uh, attack from the kings of the north, the kings of the south. He shall enter into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. By the way, what land would that be today? Ammon, Moab, Edom, be modern Jordan. Jordan is kind of a, the Switzerland of the Middle East. Uh, nobody's supposed to be attacking Jordan. And the word of God seems to suggest that even Jordan will be preserved during this time. Remember when I think it was Arafat wanted to come in and stage an attack on Israel from Jordan. And those Jordanian soldiers drove Arafat out. They didn't want Jordan to be used as a, as a, uh, as a base from which to attack Israel. Jordan's always looked upon itself as sort of a, a Switzerland, a, a country that's neutral, where you can come to negotiate peace arrangements and so on. In other words, God seems to suggest that here, that, that Jordan will not be brought under the control of Antichrist. He shall stretch forth his hand and also upon the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, over all the precious things of Egypt and of Libya and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. Uh, he's uh, going after the wealth of Israel. Some think this is what's going to happen today. Russia is bankrupting itself, is it not? <laughs> In this uh, Ukrainian war. And so uh, many think that uh, Russia, with, uh, along with China and these Middle Eastern uh, Muslim nations, will invade Israel. First of all, they hate Israel, but also they want Israel's wealth. What about uh, 2011? They discovered this great oil shale outside off the coast of Israel. Uh, Israel's a fabulously wealthy nation today. So you could see why they'd want to invade Israel to steal its wealth, to steal its land. They want the land, of course but the tremendous resources and plus they hate Israel. So right now you're seeing sort of a perfect situation, do you not, for the invasion of Israel? Some think it's very, and I, I, I think that the, uh, this battle can possibly take place before the rapture, but it probably will take place later. But uh, certainly the conditions now are very, very good. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. He's going to hear of and go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly make away, uh, to, to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. In other words, he's going to set, him, set, set his headquarters up in Jerusalem. And yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him, prophesying the second coming of Christ and the, the destruction of Antichrist. All right, well, I want to get to chapter 12 today, but we'll have to do that next week, I guess. <laughs>